Um, this morning, as we move along in our series, we are going to be taking a look at a, a New Testament letter that many people don't think of as being associated with Christmas, but we're going to take a look at it anyway. Um, we're going to be in the New Testament letter of Titus, all right? And so go ahead and pull out your Bibles and, or look, that, look it up on your phones if you'd like to follow along. Um, the New Testament letter of, of Titus, it's only a few chapters long. It's, I believe it's only three chapters, and so it's, it's a short, short book tucked towards the end of the Bible written by Paul to a man named Titus. And so go ahead and get there. Um, when you find it, we're going to be in chapter 2. And so feel free to kind of you know, hold your finger there and as we take a look at it later on. Now, as we're continuing along in our series of Advent, we're, this series is called Unexpected Places. And Advent is typically the season where we are preparing ourselves, we're preparing our hearts for the coming of Jesus into our lives. Now, typically, we do that by reading the Christmas story or related Old Testament prophet, prophecies about, about the coming of Jesus, right? That's normally, that's what we tend to do as a church when we're getting ready for Christmas. We read the Christmas story, et cetera, et cetera. But this year, we're taking a look at the fact that the coming of Jesus doesn't actually begin on Christmas Day. It doesn't begin with a baby in a manger, but it actually is a, a something that has been anticipated from the very beginning, that there are hints and whispers, if you will, of the Christmas story throughout the entire Bible, all the way back to the very beginning of Genesis. And so that's why we're calling this series Unexpected Places, because the story of Christmas is whispered throughout Scripture, even in places that we wouldn't expect it normally to, to, to appear. Now, so far, a number of weeks ago, those of you who are here, you remember that we saw how the Christmas story shows up in the very opening pages of Bible, in the book of Genesis, when sin first entered the world and corrupted this good world that God had created, God made this promise that one day sin was going to be conquered through the coming of a future offspring. And that occurred on Christmas Day. Next, we saw Moses in the story of the, of the Old Testament Israelites and in the, in the prophet Moses, how he made this promise that one day there would be somebody who was going to come that would be just a prophet just like him, just like Moses, and that this prophet would lead people into true free freedom and true intimacy with God. And we discover that, being, that occurring through the birth of Jesus and ultimately through the ministry and work of Jesus. Last week, we took a look at how even after even after the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the Christmas story, the message that God is with us and for us, is still at work and still impacting who we are as people. We saw last week how the Christmas story, specifically, in the, in the letter to the Galatians, is welcoming all people into relationship with God. That Christ is still appearing, even to people on the fringes of society. And that this Christmas story cannot be claimed by any one people group or ethnic group, but that it is a story that, is, that appears for all people. Now today we're going to take a look at how Jesus continues to appear to us and to enter into our lives and to, to challenge us on how to react on, on Christ's coming. We're going to take a look specifically at how we are affected by the coming of Christ into our lives when we are encountered by grace. Because the good news of Christmas continues in our lives every single time one of us is encountered by the reality of grace. I mean, if we really were to try to unpack this, I mean, there's billions of people across the, the, the centuries and across the planet who are new, who have experienced new life because they've experienced the grace of God. 
And, and, and we could say that every single time somebody experiences grace, they're experiencing the presence of God, the presence of the Spirit, the presence of our, the triune God in their lives. And so Jesus continues to appear to people. He continues to appear to people, people who feel lost, people who feel jaded, people who are disinterested or searching, who are aching, aching for fulfillment or for purpose or for meaning or maybe just aching for joy to finally become a part of one's life. Jesus continues to appear to us every time somebody receives the radical, life-changing experience of God's grace. Now, I want you, we're going to take a look at Titus, and f- feel free to follow along with me up on the screen as we hear for that, these words of the Apostle Paul written to a man named Titus, starting in chapter 2, verse 11. Paul writes, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. This is God's word. Now, in this New Testament letter of Titus, so, so this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to an individual, to a man named Titus, okay? So that's why we call it, the, that's why we call it Titus. Now, who is Titus and what is he doing? Titus is a friend of Paul's, and he is, has ultimately been sent by Paul, commissioned by Paul, to be the leader and in in the pastor of this kind of fledgling group of Christians who are living on the island of Crete in the Mediterranean Sea, okay? Now, this, this very young, early church that's trying to organize itself under Titus's leadership, um, Titus is responsible for trying to bring order. He's trying, he's trying to bring actual leadership to this group of people and ultimately trying to bring sound teaching as there's all kinds of errant, um, errant teachings going, that, that are floating in the air, and, and, and it's up to Titus to try to bring them all under the, the, the one kind of true teaching of the gospel. Now, um, in, this, in this church, on, the, on this island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, Titus is dealing with renegade leaders. He's got people who are just trying to go and do whatever they want to do, and they don't care what the gospel has to say. He's dealing with disorderly groups, groups of people that are trying to like kind of cause fac- factions and whatnot. Um, and in the midst of it all, Paul is, writes this letter to Titus to try to help Titus remember the fundamental truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and why it makes a difference in their lives right then and there. And ultimately, in the midst of this letter, what we just took a look at is kind of the central, the, the, the middle section of this letter. Paul writes this very kind of simple sentence. It's in verse 11. So take a look at verse 11 again. He says to Titus, the grace of God has appeared. In the midst of all of this, this, this disorder going on in this young church at Crete, he says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Now, how in the world is a simple statement like that supposed to help Titus in the midst of all that he's got to deal with? Well, it has to do with what grace is. It has to do with what grace is, what grace does, and how it is that grace appears to us. Paul is trying to remind Titus of one of the most fundamental principles of the gospel of grace. And if he can remember what grace is and cling to that and see it at work in his life and in his ministry, he's going to be okay. So grace is something that we we say a lot 
in the church, okay? Those of you who have either grown up in the church or you've attended church a lot, you hear that word grace a lot, right? We sing songs about it. People will say the, the, use the word grace almost in passing, right? How many of you ever said something like, oh, well, by God's grace, blah, 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 right? We'll use that word a lot and so on and so forth. But do we actually understand what the word grace means? The definition of grace, and there's lots of them out there, but a simple definition of grace is this. Grace is God's unmerited, undeserved favor. Unmerited or undeserved favor. In other words, it's God loving you, blessing you, forgiving you, etc., etc., even though you don't deserve it. It's God blessing you, giving you some aspect of who he is or some gift of whatever, but you and I don't deserve it. And so grace is a gift because God chooses to give something to us that we don't deserve. He gives us mercy. He gives us love. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us second chances. Whatever it might be, he gives us salvation. He gives us eternal life and on and on and on, even though we don't deserve it. And so grace is a gift of God that God gives to us, any gift of God that he gives to us that we do not deserve. In fact, many times we don't even deserve the gift. We deserve the opposite of the gift, and yet God still chooses to give us, give it to us anyway. The greatest example of grace is when God gave the gift of himself through the person of Jesus. He gave his one and only son to die for the sins of the people. Jesus gave himself for us, even though we don't deserve it, when he died on the cross. God gave himself to us, even though we don't deserve him. Now, this gift of God's self first appeared, and he guesses when? On Christmas Day. This gift of God's self, giving himself to the world and to his people, first appeared on Christmas Day through the birth of Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us. God choosing to ascend himself and be with us through the person of Jesus. Now, in this sense, the grace of God, God giving us something that we don't deserve, physically appeared when he became flesh and dwelt among us on Christmas Day. The physical appearance of grace. But the appearance of God's grace is so much deeper than just a physical appearance, okay? Because if that was all it was, then the only people who have experienced God's grace would be the people who had seen the, the, the actual physical Jesus when he walked on this earth. How can other people then continue to experience the, the gift of God's grace? You and I haven't physically seen Jesus, and so how does God's grace appear to you and I? God's grace appears to us each and every time when God's unmerited love breaks into the muckiness of our lives and gives us something that we don't deserve. If you've ever been given a second chance after you threw your life away, you've experienced the God's grace. If you've ever been given forgiveness after you committed a terrible mistake and you do not deserve to be forgiven for it, and yet you are, you've experienced God's grace. If you've ever been given a chance of redemption, new life, healing, reconciliation, or, or, or anything that you have received in which you in no way deserved it, and yet God chose to give it to you anyway, and you now have a second chance at life, a second chance to try to obey God, a second chance to try to be who God's created you to be, you've experienced God's grace. I remember 
In my early 20s, I was working at a donut shop when I encountered God's grace. Because suddenly in that moment, I remember being flooded with this recognition that God actually loves me, even though I could look at my, I looked at my whole life and I felt like I, I don't deserve any of this. I, I, I'm just nothing but an arrogant young man who thinks he knows more than other people. And yet somehow in the midst of that, God reached me and said, Ben, I love you more than you will ever know or imagine. God's grace appeared to me. Every time or any time that you have had a moment in your life when God's grace has reached through all of the, all of the walls that you built up, all of the people that you pushed away, all of the mistakes that you've made, God's grace pierces through all of that and says, you are still worth it, I still love you, I still want to give you a new chance, I still am going to redeem you. You are experiencing the appearance of God's grace every single time that you receive something from God that you don't deserve. Now, let's be honest with ourselves here, though. We might know what grace is, being given something by God that we don't deserve. We might be able to look back at our lives and identify certain times that we've experienced God's grace when the grace of God has appeared to us. But too many times, and this is huge, too many times, we might experience God's grace or identify God's grace, but... God's grace leaves no lasting impression on our lives. We might receive forgiveness, but do we actually allow that forgiveness to change us? We might be given healing, but do we actually commit to live our lives differently as a result? We might receive redemption, but do we actually allow God's grace to then make us into a new person? The reality is that for many of us, especially if we've grown up in the church or been around Christianity for, for a certain you know, length of time, many of us have actually become desensitized to God's grace. It's like this, it's like a present that somebody gives you. You, you open it, you say thank you, oh, this is a great gift, I love it, thank you so much. And then we just, you put it on the bookshelf or wherever and you don't, don't touch it, touch it for, for months, you don't even think about it. At worst, you throw it in the re-gift pile. You've been given this incredible gift, and then don't do anything with it. It doesn't actually affect you in any way. As a result, there are so many of us who have experienced God's grace, and yet we've become complacent with it. Because instead of being filled with joy, instead of being filled with this, with this amazing sense of awe and wonder about the way that God's amazing grace has changed us, instead we take a look at God's grace and we're just kind of bored by it. Like, oh, yep, thank you God for forgiving me. God's grace, it almost becomes meaningless. It, it is meaningless if it doesn't change our lives. And so I ask yourself this. This is a hard question some of us might have to deal with. In what way is your life different because of grace? In what way is your life different because of an experience of God's grace? How are you a different person than you were five years ago? How are you different than you were three years ago? How are you a different person than you were one year ago because of the way that God's grace is working in your life? How have you been changed by God's grace? Now, if you struggle to answer that question, if you actually are sitting there and you're feeling like, I don't really know if I've really changed at all. Yeah, I know Jesus. I come to church. I'm trying to acknowledge that, yes, I want to be a Christian, but I don't actually think my life is really being changed at all. Then you might be falling victim 
to something that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's a theologian who lived during World War II, Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Cheap grace. Here's a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer about this. He says, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves, right? That's like giving ourselves a gift. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's baptism without any church discipline. It's communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. It's grace without the cross. It's grace without Jesus Christ living in and incarnate. In other words, what, and he unpacks this in some of his writings, what cheap grace ultimately is, is it's basically wanting God to give us something without wanting to have to obey what God asks us to do. We want what God gives without obeying what God requires. It's like wanting to be physically fit, okay? You want to be healthy, and so you want to receive this gift of being healthy as long as I don't have to exercise. It's like wanting to be financially secure, right? Like, I want this gift of being given the, the, the comfort and security of being financially set as long as I don't have to save any money, right? The, the, the idea of cheap grace is saying, I want all of the blessings of what God can give me. I want to be forgiven. I want to be told that I'm loved. I want to be, know that, 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 that I have a second chance. I want to experience redemption. I want to have salvation. I want to have eternal life as long as I don't have to follow and obey Jesus. Do, do you see what's going on here? It's like somebody saying, I, I want to be set free from jail as long as I can continue disobeying the law everywhere I go. No. Grace is supposed to change you. It's supposed to impact you. You're supposed to be different because of experiencing the grace of God. But yet, sadly, cheap grace is everywhere in our lives. It's everywhere in the church. It's everywhere in America. It's everywhere in the West. It's all over the place. We, we see cheap grace whenever, whenever we're trying to sell salvation, right? We turn salvation into, like, fire insurance. I'm just going to try to get as many people to say that I saved them as I can, but they don't, I don't actually have to see any life change as a result. You're just, I just want to guarantee, I can tell you, you're going to go to heaven, but it doesn't matter what you do with your life. Or we see cheap grace show up when we try to turn Jesus into just some kind of really comfortable, nice guy who's just going to let us do whatever we want but we overlook, dis, overlook our, our disobedience or whenever we see disobedience happening in our lives or in other people's lives, we just kind of chuckle like, <laughs> and move on. Or we see cheap grace show up when we substitute a, a healthy fear of the Lord with rather a, a, a fear of, oh, what will people think? And on and on and on. Cheap grace, it shows up all over the place. Anytime where we want to get something from Christ, get something from God, without having to change our lives as a result. This quote from Robbie Castleman, he really hits home. This quote, he, he says, Salvation is a free gift, you hear that? A free gift of God's grace, earned by who? By the work of Jesus Christ alone. Salvation is a gift that none of us deserve. It is given to us only because of the work of Jesus Christ. And this free gift will cost you and I everything. Now, that, that, that's hard to, to stomach at times. Because the idea is, yeah, it, if I'm going to be able to be given a second chance, if I'm going to be give, given freedom, if I'm going to receive grace, it's got to affect my entire being. And the rest of my life needs to be a, a, a looking backward to how that moment of grace changed me. 
All that I am is now going to be defined as, a, as someone who has experienced the grace of God. I am going to now, from now on, I'm going to live my life no longer for myself. I'm going to put myself to, to death, is what some parts of, of the, the Bible talks about. And instead, I will live for Christ. My entire self is now different because of the grace of God. It's going to cost me everything. I have to confess, there's times in my own, my own life that I struggle with this, re this reality of letting cheap grace uh, a part of my life. It shows up everywhere. There's times I struggle with, with cheap grace even when I'm getting ready to, to, uh, to write a sermon or to even plan worship, right? There's times where my, more, my sinful self wants to preach a message or wants to plan a worship service that leaves everybody feeling so happy and uplifting and you all walk out of, of here Sunday morning and be like, oh, what a great sermon that was. This is a great church service. As long as I don't offend you or make any of you upset, then I've like done my job, right? But as a result, if, if that's what I fall victim to doing, to doing then nobody's ever going to change. It just becomes kind of this going to church to hear something nice that makes me feel good inside. That's not going to make, make us grow. That's gonna, not going to help us change. And so we fall victim to cheap grace everywhere. The risk is that if we are never as Christians, if we are never confronting people with the challenge of the gospel, and we're only making people feel warm and happy, then God's grace is not actually changing us. Now, why is cheap grace all over the place? Why is it rampant in the churches? Cheap grace is everywhere because, frankly, sin is everywhere. Down through the ages, sin reveals its ugly head in all aspects of, human, of humankind. From the Garden of Eden, through the history of Israel, even through the time of Jesus, all through the early church, continuing to this day, there is not one of us, not one man or one woman on this planet, except for Jesus himself, who lived a life without sin. Evidence, the, the evidence of sin is all around us. It's been said, if you need to see proof of the evidence of sin, just turn on the news. We're all sinners. That's a fact. It's a biblical fact. And, and we, we are in, and therefore, because we're all sinners, by our own selves, left to our own devices, we are never going to find hope. We cannot redeem ourselves. That would be like trying to, to treat a sickness with, with the sickness in a way that you're just making ourselves even more and more sick. Like The idea of sin is that we are so beyond saving unless somebody else comes in and rescues us on our behalf. Now let's take a look at Titus chapter 2, verse 11 one more time. If we have no way of redeeming ourselves, if there's no way that we ourselves can identify how we're going to find grace, and how does God do it? For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. The only one who can offer us grace is Jesus. And that is part of what the joy of Advent, the hope of Advent, the love of Advent is, is about experiencing the joy and the wonder of love that through the arrival of Jesus in our lives, we can experience grace. No, I cannot save myself, but because there was a baby born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, I know that there is still hope that the grace of God can appear to me. No, I know that that person in my life cannot save themselves, but because a baby was born... I know that God is with us and the grace of God is still appearing to us all throughout this world. There is still hope. Through grace, we're given redemption. Through grace, we're given forgiveness. Through grace, we are given more than we could possibly imagine. We deserve the opposite. We, we deserve God's wrath. We, des we deserve God's punishment. But no, because of his grace, 
because of the grace of God that appears to us, and in spite of us, God chooses to love us anyway. Take a look again at this passage. In verses, again, in verse 11, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, and it teaches us to say what to ungodliness? To say no to ungodliness and worldly passion. Do you see this? The grace of God is meant to make, you, make us live differently. We're supposed to change. We're supposed to say no to things and instead to say yes to other things, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you see it? The grace of God is supposed to change us. We're supposed to say no to certain things and yes to other things as we seek to become a new person. God's grace teaches us to say no because we're incapable of saying no on our own power. It's only by the grace of God. So the question, frankly, the question that's always before us is, so what? What are we going to do about it? What are you going to do about this? What are you going to do with God's grace? The grace of God has has appeared. What are you going to do about it? Perhaps you've never accepted God's grace before. I mean, there could be lots of reasons why. But, but hear this. Jesus Christ came to offer you the gift of grace, the gift of freedom, the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life. The question is, are you going to accept the gift? The gift is offered to you without any condition of who you are. It doesn't matter who you are. The gift is given. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. There is forgiveness. It doesn't matter where you come from. There's room for you at the table. It doesn't matter what knowledge or skills or capabilities you may have. You are still loved by God, and he is still giving you a gift. There is no precondition to receive God's grace. The question is, will you accept it? Because grace is available to you, and Jesus has already paid the price for it. Will you accept his grace? Of course, some of you, you might have accepted God's grace before. Maybe you've been a Christian for quite a long time. And so the task for for you may be slightly different. For many of you who, who perhaps you've been struggling with cheap grace in your life, the question or the challenge is this. Examine yourself. Has the grace of God changed my life and is it still changing me? Am I saying no to ungodliness? Am I saying yes to holiness? Am I surrendering myself more and more and more to Jesus Christ? Am I standing up to evil in whatever form it presents itself? Or am I just coasting, hoping that I'm just going to kind of get by by the skin of my teeth? Have I cheapened God's grace to be more comfortable, less confronting, and less concerned with whatever is going on in my life? These are hard questions to ask, but they're essential. Because, friends, that's the whole reason why Jesus came to save us on that Christmas morning so many years ago, to offer us grace. And every time you accept God's grace, every time you invite Christ into your life, every time you say yes to him, you are letting the grace of God change you from the inside out. 
Friends, it's through faith in him that we're forgiven. We are made new and we are adopted as children of God. We can't be complacent about this. We can't be unimpressed by the grace of God. We were lost and we have been found. We were broken, we have been restored. We, are, we were without hope, but now we have a Savior in Jesus Christ. And so perhaps one of the songs that we ought to be playing at home this Christmas is Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Friends, Jesus Christ is the hope of glory. Let's rejoice at the grace that has appeared to us all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we reflect and examine our own lives and the places in which we are struggling to change. Lord, would you give us, give us your forgiveness once more. For the places where we need to confess our sins to you, O oh God, may we confess so that we might live a new life. For those of us who need to accept your grace, Lord, give us the courage to say yes to you. In Jesus' name.